and current events program from a cultural perspective we find this program necessary because Hosea 4 6 states my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge but we as a people will turn this around Proverbs 4 7 states wisdom is the principal thing therefore get wisdom though thy getting get an understanding again welcome to the program this evening with your host brother Elliot and brother Richard the number to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com, which is the homepage and catch the live stream at that location. You can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live stream there also. You can catch it at abibitumi.com. That's A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I.com forward slash time for an awakening. The live stream ought to be playing there. Or you can download the TuneIn radio app to any of your, your devices. The TuneIn radio app is a free app. In that TuneIn search engine, just type in time for an awakening. There you'll see the icon and you can stream the program live even into your car if you had the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's time for an Awakening Radio program with the live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Again, that's timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Time for an Awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. In that Facebook search engine, you can type in time for an Awakening Radio program. There you always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor before you leave that page, just hit that like button. It's time for an awakening radio program with the fan page on Facebook and time for an awakening media is also there. Always full of the latest podcasts of various programs on time for an awakening, interesting articles that you can read, download at later times and share with your friends. Also check out that time for an awakening marketplace and our partnership with the BB Toomey. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Uh, various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 810 here on this Friday edition, Friday, uh, April the 21st edition of Time for an Awakening. We're in Freestyle Friday, so anything that's on your mind, give us a talk, call. We'll talk about it. And you can reach the program by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. 
Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. <laughs> Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not what you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. 
the relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 8.15 here in this Friday edition of Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia, 7th and Art Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Elliot. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing fine. Uh, you know, the, the temperature jumped up there, so that was a, a, a good thing for me once I was able to uh, unshackle myself and, and get out there, you know, with nature. But, um, you know, so that was, that's that's a plus, you know, that um, my the weather is changing. Um, but, you know, Elliot, you know, we, um, you know, we're, we're I, I had some, um, you know, I had what am what am I trying to say? The thoughts of this moment um, of where where we are as a people is, um, you know, once again, you know, weighing me or pulling me this way and that way to 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 be abstract, and and that is Elliot. You know, I guess the question I was asking myself, and I've been throwing out again. Are we black people in America an internal colony or not? You know, so other than that, everything else is good. You know, well, uh, (laughs) that's a good place to start, Richard. I just want to, uh, you know, I'm happy to be back after recharging my battery a little bit. We didn't uh, broadcast last Sunday. I guess the listening audience might have been aware of it. Uh, You know, everybody needs a little breakdown, and I I took, took one. Uh, I wanted to broadcast Sunday, but, uh, you know, we, we just couldn't uh, kind of get it together. But ain't no problem. We're here tonight. Uh, Richard, two things before you kind of break into what uh, what you want to express. I um, t- talked with Brother Oshie the other day, uh, African Perspectives host, and he was going to the uh, reparations conference, IBW, uh, at the oh, convention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I heard about in it. Baltimore and I wanted him to broadcast from there and, uh, you know, talk to some of the presenters and things of that nature. Cause you know, cause he, uh, I think he did, uh, uh, some old podcasts of his shows from Wednesday. Cause I think it was from Wednesday until Sunday or something like that. And, okay. and he did some, uh, uh, it was at the last minute. So he, he just couldn't get it together as far as broadcasting from the show, uh, from the, uh, the convention. And plus, I didn't, I wasn't able to get a hold of uh, Ron Daniels to, I, you know, he, he's, uh, well, that's another story. Uh, but I did uh, contact uh, Cam. In fact, uh, Cam Howard texted me yesterday and today because, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, well, she hooked up with him there. I, I told him that, uh, you know, somebody from uh, Time for an Awakening wanted to be there. And, you know, as part of that, I didn't know whether they had a media area or anybody from, Black and black media or independent black media to be there. Uh, right. I think they did have some type of uh, application for them to be there, but I didn't know that she was going to the eleventh hour. I hear. You. So uh, um, I did contact uh, uh, Cam, and he texted me back uh, and said that he had hooked up with Oshie today. 
So uh, I, I guess he'll be talking about some things on his program um, on Monday, which will be interesting to hear. And plus, I told uh, uh, Cam when I when he texted me today that uh, you know if he wanted to come on and talk about some things, the door is open because we've been right. talking about these issues from all angles, and everybody involved at every level has been on this right. program at one time or another. So you know, it's good to keep the conversation going because we all supposed to be shooting for the same goal. That's the point. <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree, Alex. And that, that's the that's the challenge, right? Uh, you know, to, to to confirm that, and then how if we have camps, how do we uh, still coordinate with our differences to obtain our objective? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, Richard, you uh, you mentioned some things. So, so what what uh, what were you talking about in reference to that? See, you know, um, you know, Elliot, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm now uh, um, engaged in book discussions, you know, on Clubhouse, and and we were in, engaged in a um, one book that just sparked a flow of thoughts that, uh, you know, and then seeing a, a bunch of articles, which makes me, which made me raise this question about. Um, us being, you know, we don't acknowledge that we're an internal colony or, or and I'm, I'm one advocate for to operate um, from a sovereign thinking nationalist formation, but, you know, the way we operate is different. And it kind of, you know, ties into what we were discussing last time we were on when we were like laying out, you know, where we see, especially when we talked about, um, you know, what's his name, um, General Langley and others that, you know, black people who are in these here prominent positions, whether the Democratic Party or the military and in some in other areas. And it made me, you know, it just made me think, you know, when this here book on whiteness of the whiteness of wealth by Dorothy, Dorothy Brown raises the question that the tax codes are against us, you know, intentionally that race Race is a inhibitor of black folks being able to um, have any kind of economic um, standing within the within the American structure, and it's in, and it's incorporated. Race is infused to give whites a benefit through the tax code. Code, right? Mm-hmm. And and that maybe yeah. Go ahead and. Yeah, that, and that made me, you know, because the tax code is developed by the Treasury, which, you know, I never, you know, you know, never, you know, we've been dealing with the, you know, dealing with um, the presidency and Obama. And it made, did you know, Elliot, that there's a person of color that is the uh, Treasury Secretary, a Wally Adiemi, Diemo, and I might be pronouncing his name wrong. Um, A-D-E-Y-E-M-O um, is the head of the Treasury Department and and Alexia uh, Latari is an assistant secretary of the Treasury um, in relationship to international international markets. Um, I think uh, 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 Wally is um, looking, look, I didn't look him up, but he um, looks like, um, you know, maybe uh, and by his last name, his family may be, um, um, you know, from the continent, and and um, 
and the assistant secretary, Alexia Latira, her family is from Haiti. And I'm like, Elliot, all these black people within the higher cabinets. But when I, to, to this point of the international colony, it made me um, pull up um, um, doc, Dr. Henderson's The Revolution Will Not um, Be Theorized because I know he had explored the theory based off of Harold Cruz. And I wanted to share um, that because if I, if I take a couple of minutes, I wanted to just go through why I'm raising about this internal colony. Um, and, I, and I want to come back to what you just mentioned a minute ago, Richard, but go ahead. Continue your thought. Um, and he says um, in, in, his, in his book, you know, quoting Cruz, three things that reinforces how, um, why I'm, ex- you know, I guess I'm accepting. Um, he says, uh, Cruz maintained that, fr- quote, from the Negro himself must come the revolutionary social theories of an economic, cultural, and political nature that will be his guide for social action. He also says that, um, quoting Cruz, the Negro has a relationship to the dominant culture of the United States similar to those, to that of colonies and semi-dependence of their particular foreign overseers, thus domestic colonialism. And, and then it says, the only factor which differentiates the Negro status, that of a pure colonial status, is that his position is maintained in the home country in close proximity to the dominant racial group. It is not at all remarkable that the semi-colonial status of the Negro has given rise to nationalistic movements. It would be surprised if it had not. So, you know, and this is um, Cruz formulating these thoughts um, with, um, you know, Harry Hayward, who formulated it um, before him, but at the time period in the um, middle part, latter part of the 60s. Um, and, and, you know, and what made me say that, I'm, I'm, I'm moving, you know, I'm thinking through. Here they're saying, you know, Dorothy Brown is saying how the tax structure, whether you look at in the way we purchase land, where we purchase real estate, whether how we um, pay for our, 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 you know, education, and um, in every other area, the way the tax structure is set up, it's for whites to benefit from it. So we know this from a historical perspective, but to, to see that it's coded in law, you know, it made me um, think about um, just the whole question about white wealth, right? And and so that that's, you know, so if how in America we, we were consolidated into this, um, what's that? A, a structure, a cash structure, some say class, but a cash structure where we'll be on the bottom and then seeing um, how we've been from, even from reconstruction, how, you know, we tried to, uh, 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 after winning, the winning the war, right? After winning, you know, winning the, our perspective of freedom and, and getting political control over the areas that we were in and pushing for land, for education, for, you know, just for citizenship, the right citizenship rights, how those were forcefully 
um, pushed back by another class. But what always struck me is how we never talk about who is this ruling class, right, while we're dealing with this, when we talk about, uh, you know, being a colony. Like, who controls all the wealth then and now? And I was looking at the South, and one thing I, I came up with was slavery and the white class structure. Now, I, I looked at that period to say, you know, and using this here article, you know, it said the South prospered, but its wealth was very unequally distributed. Upward social mobility did not exist for the millions of slaves who produced a good portion of the nation's wealth, while poor Southern whites envisioned a day when they may raise enough in the world to own slaves of their own because of the cotton boom. Now, you, you see the, the relationship. The, we blacks as a group um, um, couldn't, were placed in a, a point of extracting wealth um, by being classified property, and whites as a group, poor whites, you know. And the thing, the thing that got me that when we look at, you know, we say whites like they're, they're monolith too, but it said at the top of the southern white society stood the planter elite which comprised two groups, the Upper South and aristocrat, uh, aristocrat gentry, gentry, generation upon generation of who grown up with slave, grown up with slavery, had a privileged place. The Deep South, an elite group of slaveholders, gained new wealth from cotton. Some members of the group hailed uh, from established families in the eastern states, Virginia and the Carolinas, while others came from humbler background, South Carolina, and he goes and gives the name. But the point is that you have an aristocracy. So what, the, what does that happen to do with anything today and us being an internal colony? Um, because it's a recent article, but something that came up in 2021. Corporations, let me back up. You know, Elliot, after the 13th Amendment, the 14th and 15th Amendment was supposed to um, um, provide citizenship rights and, um, you know, as, as citizens and voting rights in America. But what the, what the 14th and 15th Amendment also did, I know, you know, is provide corporations with rights. Corporations as rights. Ain't that something, Elliot, that corporation, this here fictitious entity, now here we are as a people, um, moving from being property as 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 human beings as quote unquote citizens to having rights in the country, you know. To but at the same time, when we think that the Fourteenth and Fifteenth Amendment was to give just us rights, it also gave corporations rights. And here now we're in twenty twenty three. We're looking at corporations as an entity. We know. Um, and I always forget the name of that law that came in place um, that um, provided corporations with the ability to, to be able to put, um, put money in the election process, right? Um, but here it says corporations, this is 2021, are using inflation as an excuse to raise prices and make fatter profits, now I'm not a driver. You're a driver. You can, you can, y'all can. You and those are the time for listening audience. I don't know, but I think gas prices is going up. Am I correct with that? Oh yeah, yeah, they're headed back up. 
Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I seen um, a price going close to, it was, usually I say $3.80, but I seen it going into the $4 range. I said, I wonder, I said, you know, America's been, you know, kind of relatively easy with the gas prices, you know, because in some other places. No, no, they haven't. <laughs> no, they haven't, uh, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, like I think in Europe, you know, gas, a gallon is like six to eight dollars a gallon, um, if not more, you know. But it says it's making, you know, prices are rising, um, and the corporations are saying that it's inflation. But um, um, one of the um, ex uh, 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 Treasury secretary says corporations has a tendency to try to boost profit margin during periods of elevated inflation. The White House, the uh, Wall Street Journal reported, and now is no different. Roughly two thirds of the largest publicly traded U.S. companies have reported better profits this year than the same period in 2019. The Wall Street Journal found, um, citing fact uh, fact set data, nearly a hundred of those were performing at least 50 percent better than the, this year than in 2019. Uh, former U.S. Secretary Robert Rich called this phenomena a symptom of economic concentration of the American economy in the hands of a relatively few corporate giants with the power to raise prices. Well, that that struck me, Elliot, because when we looked at the South, it was relatively few. I mean, I'm using the South. I mean, we could probably look at the North and say the same thing, that had the wealth under their control, right? And with that, they they exp- they were able to amass uh, a lot of wealth. And a lot of times we talk about corporations, we talk about wealth. We, you know, we talking we we forget that we're talking about individual families. And what struck me is that um, here in an article that came out just April fifth. We may be looking at the end of capitalism. One of the world's oldest and largest investment banks warned, greedflation has gone too far. Now, this I don't believe that, you know, but this is what they're saying to each other, right? That these guys are being greedy. Now, they made us all consumers in America, right? But what does this have to do with us being a colony? If they are extracting so much wealth, to the top, and they talk about you know this how the 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 the, the um what they call the how any in, in, wealth inequality is so great, and here they are doing this right, just like when they were extracting wealth when we were slaves. I'm trying to make a systemic reality out of this. When we were slaves, we didn't get paid right at all. We did the labor, but we didn't get paid. And wealth was being extracted, making this tiny minority of group uh, uh, wealthy. Well, in this moment, we have to purchase all the goods. And here he says, Albert Smith, a global strategist at the 159-year-old Bank Society General, just released a blistering note on the phenomena has come to be called greedflation corporations, particularly in the developed economies like the U.S. and U.K., same ones that, that was created the, the slave trade, right? These, the United States and the UK, right? Have been, have used u- raising 
raw material costs amid, amid the pandemic and the war in Ukraine as an excuse to raise profits, prices, and expand profit margins to new heights, he said. And the French investment bank isn't just historic. It's one of the select banks considered to be systemically important by the financial uh, uh, stability board. So here they're looking at themselves and saying, these guys is like, they just, they just ripping off people. You know, they, they just pulling the wealth to the top, to these small groups. Um, and I'm moving and I'm just trying to show that the structural reality that we're in, that makes me say that we're an internal colony, even though we see these these um, uh, Hakeem Jeffries as the head of the um, um, the Democratic Party, um, or we see Langley as the chief general, or we see what's a Greenfield at the UN. What does that have? What does that mean when the people who control the wealth creating systems are becoming more wealthy? You know, while we're seeing black people in high places, but it is. It, but just like um, the, this slave system, where those whites wanted to, you know, those to the while poor Southern whites envision a day when they might raise enough in the world to own slave or their own. Here in France, they got plat protesters storm black right black rocks. Paris office holding flares and firing smoke bombs. Now this is again April sixth, and and what what the, what they're saying is that here, that BlackRock is the demonstrators forced their way into the building that housed BlackRock's office in Paris Thursday, taking their protests against government pension form pension reforms to the World Bank now. BlackRock is a uh, American corporation and is owned by a um, f- and his name is um, Fink. Um, um, uh, I'm trying to find his, his first name, um, and he's the chairman and CEO of of BlackRock, um, Larry Fink. And BlackRock is so powerful um, in the American financial system, right? I mean, it's one of, it's very interconnected. And you see it has, it's so interconnected. This is American financial company, that corporation that has so much wealth that it is influencing a French country um, to have influence on the pension funds that is disturbing uh, the workers because they're saying that they have to now, they're going to move the, their, the, their um their their worker you know when they can retire from sixty two to sixty four where here I think they done moved it to seventy I mean the retirement age um in America now is seventy I mean it started in the sixties but now it's in the seventies what am I trying to say to this thing of internal con- colony colony that the wealth concentration is being pulled up through these corporations just like when the slave owners and where does black folks fall in that oh, on this right and and this is my last point to show this internal colony and how this is working out wells fargo 
is offering $60 billion in lending as a lending goal towards African-American home ownership. Um, and this is a recent article. It says, Well, Fargo's announced on Tuesday a $60 billion lending commitment to create at least 250,000 uh, African-American homeowners by 2027, uh, directly arrest, uh, addressing the lower home ownership rate in the American, the African American community, the financial commitment serves to help a community that is slated to significantly increase, according to the U.S. Census. By by the year 2024, 75 percent of the expected 14 million new households, renters, and owners in the U.S. will be diverse. And of this amount, African Americans are projected to represent 17 percent or the third largest segment of the of the new Wells Far of of new of of the new Wells Fargo said through the commitment to its plan. I just started with saying that the tax system is rigged for whites to benefit. I said that the corporations are going Wells Fargo is a corporation, is a business, and it was also involved in slip um in in providing uh, finance um, for the slave trade in the 18, 1850s. And here, they're going to make a $60 billion commitment to for people to get homes, which when you um, go through um, Dr. Dorothy Brown's book, The Whiteness of Wealth, you'll see how by black folks getting homes, the interest that they pay, does not, even though they, whatever they come in on, the way it's structured, the way the tax system is structured, still puts us in a disadvantage to white folks. But that's 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 what that's the thought that came to me, Elliot. Hopefully, I wasn't taking too long, but I, that's what struck me. And as we were dealing, when I'm dealing with this, are we a internal colony? Everybody is benefiting, but us. Well, Richard, you know, uh, Wells Fargo, Citibank, all of these banks, in relation to what you said, if you historically look, look, look at Europeans and how they have dealt with us, it's always a sleight of hand, a perception, or a show. I mean, Wells Fargo saying that, now I didn't read the article, that they're going to uh, pump $60 billion. I mean, every time you look, they're violating the Fair Housing Act. Right. And they, they just got caught a couple months ago violating the Fair Housing Act. And they'll pay $10 million in fines, but then turn around and they'll make $10 million a day on loans and other stuff they're doing. So this stuff, I mean, that's smoke and mirrors. We had Sean Rochester, the, the guy that wrote the book, The Black Tax, on here, that talked about the way this tax structure is written in this country. Is totally against black folks because this is a racist society. Unlike uh, what uh, Tim Scott or Kamala Harris or, or Barack Obama believe, they don't believe we're in a racist society, but we are. And maybe racism don't affect them the way it affects us. And plus, they're elected officials, so maybe they got reasons for saying silly stuff like that. But. You know, all the evidence, and you don't even have to search for it, 
shows that we are an internal colony. Uh, Richard, you mentioned earlier about the, because I looked up the, uh, you said the Treasury Secretary. Who did you mention? And you mentioned the names. Uh, Treasury Secretary, the, the head of the Treasury. Um, was because the, the Secretary Wiley. is Yellen. Mm-hmm. Yellen. She, Yellen is the uh, head of the Treasury, head of uh, Secretary, yeah, Secretary of the Treasury. And and he's a head of the Department of the Treasury, if I got it right. And what you say his name was again? Uh, Wally I.D. Yemi, Yemi, A-D-E, uh, A-D-E-Y-E-M-O. And he's the, the Department, wait a minute, say that again. I'm, I'm trying to put it down. Yeah, I'm trying. A-D-E. Y E M O, um, the uh, deputy secretary of the treasury. Oh, he's the deputy secretary because secretary is yelling. So he's Yellen, a, right. he's the deputy secretary. Right. Okay. And and, and Alexia is the assistant secretary of the treasury. Now, let me ask you a question. <clears throat> to People that have been colonized, as we have, and the people that uh, that have faced neocolonialism, mm-hmm. what purpose? And keep it in mind that Europeans basically do everything for perception and show, especially on the worldview now. Everything is for perception and show. What purpose does it serve, Richard, to have people? in so-called positions of power like this? Mm. Uh, that's a question. Because yeah. we, ju- we just played um, Langley's message the other week when he was right. being grilled about uh, the Defense Department, what, basically what the United States is doing in Africa. Right. And he mentioned that they have hundreds of thousands or thousands of people that they have drilled core values into. Mm-hmm. And he's a black man that's there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now we have our perception of Langley, Linda Thomas Greenfield, or a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. So what is a Neo-colonials' perception of these people. Mm. I'm just curious because uh, when you, you know, when you uh, when you talk about the two, uh, it's a Haitian young lady and a and a, and a, a man mm. that you said are, are over these two positions, right? The the less than one percent, and I'll I'll put that figure on it. I, it believe me, it's not scientific. The less than one percent of blacks here in the United States and blacks on the continent or in the diaspora mm-hmm. that are in those brackets, they might look at them a certain way, but how do everybody else look at them, Richard? You know how some blacks look at people like that. That's here. Right. But I'm asking you, your perception of how they look at them. I mean, they're just, you know, if I'm if I'm following the, the line of thinking, to me, it would be just like servants, right? I mean, they they're just doing they're just doing a job, 
in relationship to, and I and I'm making a relationship to the ones who are of the heads of these corporations or who owns the major stocks of these companies that control most of the wealth and who have the ability to rise the prices to where uh, everybody else has to pay. These guys that are in these positions, I would consider them like neo-colonial officers. I don't know if that addresses your question. Okay. It it does in a way, but let me kind of break it open a little further because our people, and you really see our people doing it, have a problem with other people coming here to this country, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. And, but you don't necessarily see other people voicing those type of animosities. Hmm. And they're doing that because we're a colonized people here. We've been behind the eight ball since we've been here, fighting for scraps. So when you see other people coming here, immediately your mind goes to, they're going to take my scraps. Mm. I mean, do you agree? Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And when you see other people coming here, and especially ones that look like you, it's real animosity because you're colonized and you've got people coming here that that have come from a neo-colonialist environment and they're mm. coming here for a purpose. The average run-of-the-mill people from these areas are not the ones that's coming here. Do you understand what I'm saying, Rich? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. Just like we mentioned before, when we last did the last live program, this is not a movie. This is not coming to America where uh, uh, Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall get up and say, oh, I'm going to Queens. I'm going to the United States. It don't work like that. In the movies, it does. But do you think the average, now I, I consider myself the average black person here, and I might be below average in this country. Do you think the average black person, whether you're talking about here or anywhere else, is jumping up in the morning and say, oh, I guess I'm going to America? No. Okay. You can't. No, 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 no. But do, you don't. Come on. I'm talking about the perception now of what's going on. I ain't talking about the reality. I'm talking about the perception. And putting these people in positions of power and putting them directly in the line of fire, so to speak. Right. So when this stuff happens, you're not only looking, and sometimes you're not even looking at the, the puppet master. You're looking at these people. Exactly. And some of them have just as much culpability in this as their white directors or white handlers or European handlers, put it that way. The, um, let me, and I share with you this article because I think it kind of blends to what you're talking about, but just from another angle. Yes. Here in Philadelphia, let's use this as a test case. You have, for the last 
25 or more years, Richard. Uh, in fact, it's been more than 25 years, a lot more. You've had blacks in positions of power, top positions of power in Philadelphia. Mayor, police commissioner, fire, control city council. Because in Philadelphia, similar to New York and I think Chicago, the council kind of controls things to a degree. The mayor is like the facilitator. You know what I'm saying, Richard? Right. So you've had majority black council for a number of years. Decades, in fact. And up until recently, you just had, you just got the, what's this, Kenny? He's the white mayor. But before that, you had th- almost three decades of black mayors. Am I mm-hmm. right? Yep. Now, here in Philadelphia, uh, running for mayors, it's almost unprecedented. You got about 10 people. Well, the, the number didn't dwindle a little bit. I think you got about eight people that's running. Mm-hmm. And several of them is blacks out of council, right? Right. And they're going around touting their record that they're going to stop crime. And mainly they're focusing on crime because that's a big issue here. Right, right. Safety. But let let me read this, Richard, because it, it goes to what you're saying. It goes clearly to what you're saying about us being, I ain't talking about how black folks view themselves. Uh, I'm, I'm not colonized. Uh, I've got just as much right here as anybody else. I'm a citizen. I'm an American. I mean, that, I mean, listen, that's how a lot of us view ourselves. Mm-hmm. Instead of the reality of how you're being viewed by people in positions of power, so to speak, or people that they that believe that this is their country and you're just here. You follow what I'm saying? Definitely, definitely. Now, let me read this article. It came out to Philadelphia Inquirer two weeks ago. Now, I want the listening audience to pay close attention. It was in the Philadelphia Inquirer. You can pull it up online. It's an interesting article, and it's a dichotomy of what's going on nationally. And it, like I said, it, it really dovetails on what you're saying, Richard. Let me read the header first, and I want this to sink in. Keep in mind, this is 2023. It says, this is the header. Income for black Philly households is stagnant. For everyone else, it's up almost 25% since 2010. Now, now Richard, I'm going to read some of this article. But let's stop at that header and let it sink in. Richard, we're not living in the South. We're not living in a red state where we're the minority and they got their foot on our neck. You follow what I'm saying, Richard? Yep. We're in the North. This is a democratic city, a black democratic city with a bunch of black officials all over the place. And I'm going to read this header again. Let it sink in top of awakening audience. Income for black Philly households is stagnant. For everyone else, it's up almost 25% since 2010. So that's saying, Richard, that your income as a black person in this city of Philadelphia has been stagnant for 13 years, Richard. 
While everybody else has rose at least 25%. So that goes for Hispanics because blacks is ready to always throw uh, Hispanics in with their problem. And I ain't talking about, I'm talking about European type of Hispanics. Mm-hmm. They are quick to throw other people in with them. All these other people, income has rose at least 25%. In the past 13 years in Philadelphia. But black people have stayed stagnant. How can you progress as a people when your income hasn't rose for 13 years? And it wasn't like you was making money before that, Richard. This is crazy. In a city where it's black elected officials all over the place. Now, let me and read it. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. And the price, while the prices are rising. Exactly. Your and income then, is stagnant, but the prices, prices is rising. Are rising. And but then you turn around and, and, and these black elected officials put the guns down. Put the are you crazy? These people can't make it. And this system knows that when you mix poverty, oh 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 oh, you you you, when they mix poverty in this situation that we're in. And then throw guns and drugs in the same environment. What's going to happen? They already know it. They experienced it. Just before the crash, when Roosevelt came up with this WPA to help uh, uh, the average white kind of get on their feet. They know what was going on in these cities. Whites was off the hook. All types of gun violence. Gangs all over the place. In suburban areas where it was whites, you had the Bonnie and Clydes, the the pretty boy Floyds. They was all in the suburban areas, robbing banks, kidnapping people. In the cities, you had the Capones and the Lucca Lucianos and all them running down people all in the street. Drugs and and liquor before they, the, the prohibition, all over the place. They know what these things will cause. So Roosevelt said, well, we listen, we can't have this 1%. We're going to have to restructure things so most whites can at least have a healthy living. That's when they came up with this middle class. It was no middle class back then, Richard. You follow what I'm saying, don't you? Yo, yeah. I mean. It was no middle class then. It was no. The middle class was created then. Because they seen other than that, it was going to be hell and how uh, almost rioting in the streets by these average whites. So they created a middle class that wasn't created for blacks. It was created for whites to create a different standard of living for them. Because before that, prior to that, you seen all this stuff they was doing. The Bowery Boy. I remember back in the day they had uh, those little shows. When I was a little kid, they had the Bowery Boys and all this stuff on TV, and it showed a segment of white life back then, the average white life. During the 1930s, you had all them movies that they was making, showing what white folks was doing in their areas. Angels with Dirty Faces. Remember that movie, Richard? Yeah. Uh, 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 Public Enemy Number 1. All them old gangster movies that they were showing – in the 30s and 40s, because that was a segment of white life. 
They couldn't wait to start selling stuff all in the street, drugs, liquor, prostitution, gunning people down. That was white life. Now they done flipped the script and put it on you. Your income is stagnant. Been stagnant in Philly for 13 years. That's crazy, Richard. Let me read some of this here. It says income inequality in Philadelphia continues to grow along racial lines. As in the following patterns in New York and Boston, two cities with much higher incomes and cost of living, according to the study from the Economy League of Greater Philadelphia. The the declining black population in the city and the declining poverty rate for black uh, the, the declining poverty rate for black Philadelphians may also suggest that less affluent black residents uh, can't afford to live in the city and are moving to inner ring suburbs, according to Mike Shields, research director of the Economy League. We have a lot more poverty and social issues that New York and Boston don't have because they've already uh, evolved the method of having so much inequality that no impoverished person can even live in the city anymore, which is an over-exaggeration. But black Philadelphian median income grew at the slowest rate compared to any other racial group between 2010 and 2022, just barely above the 2010 levels when adjusted with inflation, according to the Enquirer analysts. While black median income only grew 6%, the median income for Asians, Latinos, and white households rose at least 25% during the same period. Black households earned more money on average in 2022, but the median black household income Adjusted to inflation is just $2,000 more than 2010. So, Richard, you see what that's saying? You see what that's saying? That your income has rose since 2010, but 2,000 bucks. So if you couple that with the inflation rate, that's where the stagnant, uh, the, the, the your income has not rose, comes in. Mm-hmm. But during that same period, according to the, the article, Asians, Latinos, and white households rose at least 25% during the same period. And you know why a lot of the I mean, l- listen, I'm not even going to deal with the White household because we, we know what's going on. But you know why a lot of the Latinos and Asian income rose during that period? They rose on your back. Mm-hmm. You're the colonized people. They control generally the economy and black neighborhoods. Over the past 10 years, you had the proliferation of all these Latino stores all over the black community, along with these Asian stores. So it's no wonder that their income has rose at least 25% in those 10 years, or 13 years. 
and yours is stagnant because we're going in these stores and spending our money. We're helping these people's income. But more importantly, Richard, it's black elected officials that's supposed to be over this city. How are you presiding over this city when your people's income hasn't rose in 13 years? And then you turn around and ask a question, what's going on? It's gun violence. Put the guns down. This system, listen, this, this crack, Richard, has really done a job on our people. Mm-hmm. And it's the system that we live under, European system, a white supremacy that introduced this crack into the black neighborhoods. It has destroyed generations of our people. It put men in jail. It put these women on the street. And now, Richard, you've got two or three generations out from that that's still mm-hmm. reeling from it. Number one, it's no, generally, it's no men in these homes. And these women got two and three jobs to make a living wage, Richard. So who's home when the children get out of school? Who's home to monitor what the children are doing? The men are not there, and the women are not there. They're working. And who's getting those public contracts or those developers' contracts to do those construction, whether it's just nailing, nailing or plumbing or sheetrocking all these here houses that are being um, raised in these areas that they're doing this development in, which they're giving those people those 10-year tax abatements. That's my point, Richard. That is supposed to, that's not supposed to be me and your job. That's supposed to be those people that our people elect to look out for their behalf. It's supposed to be their job to make sure that our people get a fair share. Because even though uh, the city has lost some black population, according to this article, it's still a majority black city. Mm -hmm. So it's their job to look out for the community, to make sure the community can have businesses in their own areas. To make sure when there's construction going on in this city that we get a fair share of these contracts. They can't even do that or don't want to do it or can't do it. So we got to raise up in order to take control of these communities again. We got to raise up a whole different mindset or a new generation of people that's going to deal with these issues head on. Because these people have miserably failed. And some of them don't care, Richard. As long as they get their nest feathered, or however you want to put it, they're looking out for number one or whatever. I'm going to get mine. As long as they get theirs, they don't really care about you. The only time they care about you is when it comes time to vote. And then they go out there and say, oh, black people die for that right and all its other the cliches that you hear all the time. Mm-hmm. The Republicans is doing this to us and this and that. When we getting it from both ends, I don't care whether it's Democrat or Republican. So this goes to what you were saying, Richard, about the internal column. Right. And and, and, and it paints it, which, which, I mean, the, the, when you made the equation of making the, the, the global context, because uh, Neil, 
it's about the imagery, right? When we see, and as you said, it's been longer than than um, 25 years. I, I would say, like in the last 50 years, when you see that there's a black strata that are in these positions, and it, and that's the positions that we see. But there's another level of positions that we don't see the the, the ones that are clerks and 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 have uh, supervisory positions, whether they're in cities or state or federal government, their 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 income. But when you look at go down, how what's the proportion? If the imagery is see y'all are growing, like we just said, when you have these images of people who are uh, assistant uh, a secretary or 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 you know, um, the head of the Department of, of Treasury, um, you know, when you have these images, say, so, well, we, we have, we're, we're, quote, unquote, moving on up. But when you evaluate that to the mass of people, and then you take the people who are moving, and I think you just mentioned in that article, where there, there's people who are moving out of the city. Why? Because they don't want they don't want to raise their children in an educational system that's failing them. They're willing to pay the higher uh, rate, a mortgage rate or a tax rate, or what's that? Real estate tax rate to move in a suburban area on the pretense that their children will get better education because they see that that is not coming out of the public school system. So now you have at the top of imagery. Uh, black folks, you could say, "Oh, look, look how we have achieved." And uh, in the middle, you have uh, Im- uh, you have a movement of people who are moving out of the places they were raised in because they want better service for their children, for themselves. And then you have those who are stuck. Them and that what you describe as far as the men who are in prison the children that are in the public health system or what's that, the, you know, uh, the, you know, uh, the, 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 the child service system and the women who are holding two and three different jobs. Um, even if they now don't have eight children, they got two or three children trying to make ends meet and real estate rental prices are going up. Exactly. Food prices are going up. Yeah, but the only thing that hasn't went up in 13 years is your salary. There you go. Only more evidence, like you said, Richard, of the internal colony. There you go. Now, here's another thing that's curious, Richard. And, you know, like the the, the TV show, Arsenio Hall used to say, things that make you go, mmm. <laughs> Richard, listen. <clears throat> You notice how people get up in arms when other people come here, and especially other people that look like them, right? Right. Now, hold it. Let's look at that. You got Asians here in this country, and they're in different strata of life. And in these cities, they basically, uh, along with Latinos, is splitting the economy of black communities. They're almost sharing in it. And they get the blessing of the white power structure, giving them the money to do it. Mm. 
They don't come here with no suitcases full of money. You know, it, it was a time, Richard, maybe you're aware of it or not, that black people used to think those people come here with all kind of money. Mm-hmm. And they just come in your neighborhood and start buying these business, these places up. Because, you know, the rank and file blacks are saying, oh, listen, that store been vacant. How come somebody black didn't do it? When they don't know exactly what's going on. But the question is this, Richard. How come when, I'll just use Asian, for example. When they come here and set up shop in your communities, how come other Asians don't say anything about them? Why isn't any sniping? Asian on Asian sniping, so to speak. Do you follow what I'm saying? If not, I'll make it a little clearer. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, when I say Asian, you got Chinese that's here, whether they're from Taiwan or whatever. Chinese are here in your community. Cambodian, Vietnamese, Japanese, Laotians. Richard, I don't hear... I don't hear Richard. Yeah, help me with this now because you on different groups. I don't hear Asians saying, oh, what's that, what's that Japanese doing here? What's that Vietnamese doing here? We don't want them here. You, do you see that, Richard? No. When those people are here, they join groups. And, and, and in the city, they got an Asian businessman association, and they're involved. I'm quite sure if you went to one of those meetings, you'd see Chinese there, Japanese there, Vietnamese there, Cambodians there. Uh, do you doubt that, Richard? Well, I have to say this, Elliot, especially from the Chinese, is that, you know, and I could see the uh, Korean. They oh, yeah, Korean. I'm, yeah, I didn't even mention them, Korean. Go ahead. They have associations of their own. See, when you're prospering, and your well, I, I, they might have individual. I, I acknowledge that they might have individual groups of their own, but you don't hear them sniping at one another. In fact, that Asian Businessman Association has a lot of different Asians in there working together. Hello? Yeah. They're working together. They ain't sniping at one another. Why? Because they're not colonized. They're not colonized in the fashion that we are. They might have brought into this system of capitalism, and especially being that they can come here and make money off of you. But if this system ever fell apart, which is headed that way, they can always go home. Now, it's it's another system there that they might not be comfortable with, system of government. Am I right? Mm. Oh, yeah. But they can still go home. You got Latinos here from different places. Some of them are from South America. I don't hear no sniping when they're in these neighborhoods. All of these people that got these stores, these and black people running in there calling them poppy and mommy and all this stuff, they ain't all from the same spot, Richard. Hmm. Are they all from the same country? No, no. I don't hear them sniping at one another when the other one's coming here. Because they know, listen, the more the merrier. There's plenty of room for you here. 
You look in our neighborhoods. You got two or three over the past maybe ten years. You got two or three of them stores almost in one block, Richard. Mm-hmm. How are they getting? Where's all this money coming from? Beside you, but I'm talking about how are they getting all this money to even furnish these stores? You go in there and the, the, the goods is falling off the shelf. They got so much. Where's the sniping at? Oh, I don't want him here. I don't hear that. Do you? No. The question is why? That's what I'm asking you, Richard. Why? You hear that from black folks. But I, let's, put us, let's put us on the side for right now. Why don't you hear that from the other ones? Why? You tell me. It's not to their advantage, um, one. Um, two, if it, if, it, if it is, it's amongst themselves. It is not a public thing. And I have to say, Elliot, you know, um, my, my narrowness says, and, and that's the point of their, as you, as you said, with the numbers, if their numbers have been increasing, that means their income numbers, just looking at Philadelphia, that means their social network amongst themselves is effective. I think, okay, exactly, exactly. You know, and, 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 and when you're, you're um, effective, and doing what you're doing, because, you know, um, as you say, I mean, whether you go to the uh, path of least resistance, which may be the black community, or you position yourself, create leverage in the, because I've heard where in going, you they, different groups are not going into white communities, white suburbs, just Going in there and setting up shop. Well, they ain't allowing them. It's not that. Wait a minute. Hold, hold it, Richard. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Let's stop there. And see that that's where the watchman, who's supposed to be your elected officials, is supposed to be helping you. It's not that they're not going into these white communities. They're not allowed in these white communities because the law states that if you want to open up a business, you're supposed to do all the proper things. Go to zoning. It's supposed to be a notice. Just say if it's a vacant storefront. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be a notice out front. Richard intends to put a restaurant here. And then all of a sudden, the community groups get involved. Well, I don't know whether it, what is Richard putting there? Uh, you might be selling X-rated material, whatever it is. As soon as they had a community meeting, we don't want Richard here. Then you can't put that store there. You're not coming into the, I don't care whether you're putting a restaurant there or whatever. You're not coming into their areas. That don't happen generally in black areas. It does not. I'm a business owner. You see a vacant business that's been sitting there. You hear black, black stone, oh man, why don't somebody black? But you can't get the money to open these places. You just can't. Then all of a sudden, you see somebody working in there and boom, here's a Latino store. Here's an Asian store. Half of the time, Richard, and the majority of the time, there's no zoning notice up there. They just get right in bed. And I know because I didn't call on several places. It's a place next to me. There's an Asian guy working in the place, fixing it up. I didn't call Ellen and I several times. 
What is this guy doing over here? What is, I don't see any zoning notice. What's going up over there? Oh, it's all types of song and dance. And I didn't call the, the, represent, the council person in my community that represents that area. They don't even put no zoning notices up that, that, in black neighborhoods. They just go in there and get started. And the one reason they do that, because they, they have to clear it with somebody. And you know who they clear it with, Richard? Mm. The council person in your area. They make sure they don't have no type of resistance. Now, blacks can organize and don't go in these places. And that's what it's going to boil down to. We need to stop going in these places. Because you ain't going in no white neighborhood shutting up no shop. You're not getting no business in no white areas that don't want you there. You got a few businesses, and they make sure they accentuate these. The few businesses that's in Center City that's black. But believe me, they've got some ties, some political ties with somebody in order to get these places. But generally, you ain't opening no way. You can't even open up business in your own community. Without some type of red tape. These people don't have no red tape. They come in there and they have plenty of money that when these places open up, they have new equipment, stuff falling off the shelves, overrunning. They ready for business when they open. Zoning notice the first, you don't see it. If you don't believe me, drive through the community, Richard. And then listen to the audience, drive through their communities, wherever cities you're in. Look at these businesses that's opening up. I don't care what city you're in. Uh, you might have a different nationality. Here is Latinos and Asians that control the economy of black communities. In your cities, it might be different. I heard it's Arabs and all in certain areas. Detroit and all, it's, it's Arabs from what I've, what I've heard. I don't know. I don't live there. But there's other people in different areas that control the economy of black communities. And if that don't point to us being an internal colony, I don't know what does. Maybe you can, I mean, you you kind of drew it out, Richard. But I just kind of <laughs> uh, kind of reinforced, I try to reinforce what you're saying. Yeah, and, 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 and the thing is, you know, looking at the flip side, and even in what Cruz was saying, because it's one thing being an internal colony <clears throat> when when the extraction is not working into your best interest. It's called a nationalist uh, front, what you describe when the people are controlling their environment. They're controlling their economy. They're controlling their labor. They're controlling the value of the, the assets, call them homes. They're controlling that. When you're doing that, then you're not necessarily a, a colony working against yourself. You're you're now a entity like like we talking about the the Asians or or the Hispanic. There these are networks that are operating um, like national entities. I call them. I don't know what you would call, but you see that you see the outcome is different. Right? You see that you see the skill. You know, even in with you know when I see now whether the Mexican community that's coming in that 
where the women are doing housekeeping and charging $500 or whatever, and you see them in different, whether they be houses or businesses, and you see the men, um, and, and they're middle-aged and young, who are doing the building, uh, the plumbing, uh, definitely the um, the carpentry work. They got their own trucks. They there. They're putting they're putting on these third floors. They're the ones that are working, even if they're subcontractors. Exactly. That's what I was going to say, Richard. Who are they working for? Who are they working for? Yeah, and they're working before them because they... No, I said, who are they working for? Whites. Exactly. Exactly. White white developers. Okay. They they got the skills to where they can negotiate the price that is amenable for them to, to raise their income more than those who don't have the skills or... Not a, or not organized enough to be able to say with the skills because at one point we did have the skills right, and then they started you know some people say well that's why they cut down the vocational schools and whatever because they were we were putting out electricians and and whatever and then the challenge was then was when the other groups the Italians and the Irish had the unions the carpentry union the electrical union the plumbing union they just I always use the example. Didn't they just lock up one boy right now with um, the head of the carpentry union? The feds, I mean, after all these years, they just got him. That was his name, Dockerty. Yeah, electrical. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And wasn't he financing, you know, donating to black politicians campaign, putting up big banners for those who were running for Congress. Yeah, and that's why, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that, because that's why, that's part of the reason why, for the past 13 years, according to this article here, that was released in the Inquirer two weeks ago, for the past 13 years in the city of Philadelphia, black income has stayed stagnant, while everybody else has been up, up at least 25%. That's why. And using that example, they were supposed to, expand involvement in those uh, unions which they create even a school but did the the increase of black apprenticeships in those unions to where those higher income uh, salaries were were able to achieve it was still difficult to get in I know it didn't pass the test you know it was still and that's after the agreement but so it's to move from being a colony that is controlled by others, even with the imagery of those who are at who are sitting in supposedly positions of influence or 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 power, is different than being in these positions of influence and power and working for someone else. Now, Richard, they, they, uh, I'm going to take a break. But before we do that, let me say this in relation to what we've been saying. Here in Philadelphia, they plan and they want to build a new basketball stadium oh, yeah. for the, the 76ers. And 
you got white ownership, and I'm not even talking about their religious group, whether they're Catholic, Jewish, whatever. You got white ownership, David Rubin, and others. He's the owner. In fact, he bought. I think he bought this Washington football team. They want to build stadium. The proposed area is right down there in Center City, next to Chinatown. Right. So the Asian community is upset. Now it's called Chinatown, Richard. Right. But I mean, the other Asians don't mind it being called Chinatown, and that goes to what I said earlier. Because there's other Asians down here. All the people down there ain't Chinese. Am I right? Oh, yeah, you're right. But they don't mind it being called Chinatown. It ain't no sniping among them. Ooh, he's Vietnamese. Ooh, what he doing here? He's Korean. What's he doing? No, you don't hear that among them. They're working together. They don't mind that being called Chinatown. Now, let me get back to what I'm saying. They want to build a really arena down there. The Asian community is upset. So they know that this city is still predominantly black. Mm-hmm. So what do they do? They lobby the African-American Chamber of Commerce. Now, yeah. that's weakest water, Richard. You know, yeah. when Bruce, uh, Cro- it, 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 when Bruce it, Crawley it, it, was head of it years ago, you you had right. black businesses. You had some. You, I mean, they really wasn't much to speak of then. You got even less now. So I don't even know who's the member or who even runs the African-American Chamber of Commerce. Mm, it's a woman. It's a woman now that I think is the president. Well, they lobbied the African-American Chamber of Commerce, and they lobbied the black ministers. Mm-hmm. Now, what they did, now you don't see them, when stuff is going on in this city, you don't see them going to the Basilica of Peter and Paul that's down here at 15th and JFK and going into that pulpit and addressing the pit. You don't see that happening. They don't mm-hmm. disrespect their people like that. But two, three Sundays ago, they went into a church out there in West Philadelphia. Uh, Sixers Brass, so to speak. And it just so happens it's a black guy. Now, I didn't even know that the black guy was a part of Sixers Brass. But maybe they hired him just to go into the church. He goes into the church and is talking to the church members about the proposed arena. On a Sunday, mm-hmm. Richard. On a, In fact, mm-hmm. it was it was Palm Sunday. It's supposed to be a high holy day for, for, for these folks here and for, and for black folks too. Mm-hmm. He's in the pulpit on... Uh, Palm Sunday talking about some proposed arena in the church mm-hmm. in the church Richard I remember when I was trying to get me and, and Reggie brother Reggie was hosting this program trying to get uh, some of the churches on board to help these black farmers they ain't want me to even come in there talking about black farmers on a Sunday mm. but they let these people come in there and talk about some basketball arena but the, the, let me get back to what I'm saying they went in there to propose this arena, and all of a sudden, the African American Chamber of Commerce and the Black Ministers uh, Group Coalition is for this arena, mm-hmm. saying it'll help the Black community. No guarantees. No, we want fifty percent of the businesses in the community and in that arena. We want fifty mm-hmm. or, or put it this way, we want commensurate to our population. I think this city is forty four percent black 45 something like that 
We want 45% of the construction, 45% of the businesses inside the arena, and 45% of the people that's working in the arena. Mm. Don't just come back to the community tomorrow, oh, it's going to benefit, because ain't nothing this man does that benefits the black community. You're always on the outside looking in, the odd man out, screaming for a job. But they made sure that they got these so-called blacks in positions of power to go along with it, Richard. Now, mm-hmm. the funny thing about it, you don't hear the ones that's running for mayor right now saying anything about it. Mm-hmm. You you don't think they approached them, Richard? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, do you think they approached That's a question. Do you think any of them been approached? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, they're aware of They ain't it. saying anything. Oh, no. Oh. I mean, now, I, I have a... Now, it's kind of funny, Richard. They had a debate uh, last week, and one of the mm-hmm. candidates, because it's a Chinese woman that's running, and he yeah. said, uh, you met with the Sixers down here. <laughs> I don't know whether you heard that, Richard. She mm-hmm. said, oh, I met with them, but I didn't say anything about the basketball arena. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying that to say that they went out and got the Black uh, Chamber of Commerce and the Black Ministers to go along with this arena with no guarantees it's going to help black people at all. And in fact, we know it's not. And see, Elliot, I have to say this, because when I seen that, right, my thing is these black, this, you know, and they get, they're, they're offering them, you know, some jobs and, and some um, contracts, you know, for it. But here you're going into an organized community, a historically organized community, that has an economy because you remember they tried to do that before to build that stadium in Chinatown and they, they whatever the, that back. was a baseball that was baseball this one is basketball okay. yeah but they you know they pushed them back and that was the businessmen association mm-hmm. and I would say businessmen association the center city businessmen association is involved in this because that means it's more more traffic more 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 business in the center city area, right? But here you have not that group as what you're saying. You could, I don't see a black business district that they have done that in their own community. You're going to be able to marshal the strength to go into an organized already economy and a community. You're going to go to war, really, with them. You won't go to war in a community that you 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 don't have no you got to displace them to build that. <laughs> and here you uh, and you haven't demonstrated that you can be able the person. I mean, if you were gonna build, well, I mean, even when Temple wanted to build that that stadium over there, they displaced the black community. Ain't no black community get no business. It's when no black businesses developed and no black wealth developed out of uh what's that Leacourt Stadium? Yeah, and you had blacks that, that went along with it at that time also. Exactly. Exactly. But here you're gonna go I mean that 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 to me like is the part of the insanity of here you can be used, as you say, because even if you get a few things, get nothing or just a few, you're going to be used to displace a community by the same people who displace 
I, you know, you know, we we from South Philly. They displaced this community. We've seen it in that same 13 years. You can see, ain't no, you know, you can see the change. Oh yeah, and it ain't even over yet. West Philly, but then you have Negroes talking about we, what you're going to get, and I, and I'm, you know, it's 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 a it's a it's a it, this this is one thing that you have when you look at internal colonies. And you talk about neo-colonialism. It's one thing when you're talking about um, a direct, you know, when they're a direct colonizer controls the, the controls the colony. It's another thing when you have indirect, when you have black folks who are utilized to suppress yes. the people within it. And the number that you just raised. And the condition that we we we're talking about, and then what you hear them saying, these same black they're running for mayor, and not just the mayor here, and they change the word. They don't say just gun violence right anymore. They say public safety, <laughs> right? Oh, hey, get the language. What did Dr. King say? Get the language right. They always it's always a trick in that language, Richard. I'm telling you, that's what they're saying, right? It's the same thing. You know, which means get control over the, the you know, because we can't be able to promote the city as a, in this here leisure economy, in this tourist economy, if they got people talking about they could just run downtown. Young people run downtown just, you know, willy-nilly running all over cars, you know, and they self-organize. Or if they in their own community killing themselves, but we 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 telling them we can't do nothing about it because we don't know where the guns coming from, or we don't even know who's the ones getting ready to do this. But we don't say, as you said, that the condition of poverty in these areas, the condition of hopelessness in these areas, the condition of misery, the you know the misery index in these areas, make people feel. Helpless or hopeless, but they still are living every day. And the prices are increasing. And we don't even see that at the same time, the people who are increasing the prices, they call it corporations, but they're becoming more wealthy. And they don't have to do How much wealth do you need? But what difference is that than when they had us I mean, they were when I mean, I use the southern plantations and we don't even have to go to the Caribbean because they that's what's the extraction of wealth directly from the it was skilled labor. It was skilled intelligence. And they never paid them a dime. We're going to take a brief break when we come back. Uh, you can get involved in the conversation. We got a call waiting on the line, and uh, we'll get to them. We're going to take a brief break. Freestyle Friday on time for an awakening is nine thirty eight. And again, the, the contact number is two one five four nine zero nine eight three two. That's two one five four nine zero ninety eight thirty two. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back.
listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening. With host, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media. Part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumi.tv.com, abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger. Run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. Black Power. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global Kometsu black family, to join your interconnected Kometsu black communities, escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. conspiracy. This government has failed us. 
the senators who are filibustering concerning your and my rights, that's the government. Don't say it's Southern senators. This is the government. This is a government filibuster. It's not a segregationist filibuster. It's a government filibuster. Any kind of activity that takes place on the floor of the Congress or the Senate, that's the government. So this government has failed us. The government itself has failed us. And the white liberals who have been posing as our friends have failed us. And once we see that all these other sources to which we've turned have failed, we stop turning to them and turn to ourselves. We need a self-help program, a do-it-yourself do philosophy, a do-it-right-now philosophy. Uh, it's already too late philosophy. This is what you and I need to get with. And the only time, the only way we're going to uh, solve our problem is with a self-help program. Before we can get a self-help program started, we have to have a self-help philosophy. Black nationalism is a self-help philosophy. What's so good about it, you can stay right in the church where you are and still take black nationalism as your philosophy. And I think we are in a new era, a new phase of the struggle, where we have moved from a struggle for decency, which characterized our struggle for 10 or 12 years, to a struggle for genuine equality. And this is where we are getting the resistance because there was never any intention uh, to go this far. People were reacting to Bull Connor and to Jim Clark rather than acting in good faith for the realization of genuine equality. Do you think white people in this country, and I'm talking about non-segregationists, people devoid or thinking they're devoid of racism, do you have any idea of what they want the Negro to be in America? I think the vast majority of white Americans uh, will go but so far. It's a kind of installment plan for equality, and uh, they are always looking for an excuse uh, to go but so far. For an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 945 here on this Friday edition of Time for an Awakening. Uh, we in Freestyle Friday. Anything that you want to talk about, you can do that by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Richard, uh, before I go yes. to the phones, we got a call waiting. Um, let me say something in reference to that because um, <laughs> you, you heard the collage of voices that's right. telling us that if we're going to do these things, we're going to have to do it ourselves, right? Right. Now, let me dovetail it on it because. The thing right now, and you hear when you mentioned about public safety, because a lot of them are saying that when they get in, they're going to declare a, uh, uh, they don't say martial law, but uh, what do they call it? And one of our calls will probably jump up. To, they, they're using some type of word now that they're saying that they're going to declare state of emergency. I'm talking about martial law, a state of emergency on public safety. You've heard, you've heard some of the candidates saying that. Right. When they get in office, that's one of the first things that they're going to do is declare a state of emergency 
for public safety. Now, they're not explaining what that means. Do you, you notice that, Richard? Right. What that entails. But they're saying that. And some of the black ones are not saying that. They're, they're not saying anything at all in reference to it. Some of the other ones are saying that they're going to declare this. Now, let, let me read this, Richard, in, in, because we see that they have put these guns and drugs in black communities, and there's no jobs in these communities to sustain mm-hmm. these families. And they'll admit it when you see these reports coming out, just like the one I just shared. Let, let, let me read this here in reference to because you've got a lot of black elected officials that point to, and this is in my in our particular state, and I'm quite sure it's the same in others because we've seen those those two guys that got kicked out of the uh, Tennessee thing when they brought up something about guns. Well, I, I want to read three articles, a brief paragraph out of three different articles. This first one was in Inquirer. And it was in the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer online eight months ago. And the header says, why is it so hard for Philly to pass its own gun laws? Now, I'm no politician. I don't know about all these intricacies of political and how they, you know, all this back and forth. But let me read this in a, as a, a synopsis. It says, local governments can't pass gun laws that are stricter than what is written in the state gun laws. Requiring people to uh, report loss of stolen guns, banning assault weapons, and limiting the number of gun purchases per month. What do all of these have in common? There are proposed gun laws in Philadelphia that were blocked by the state law. So you follow what I'm saying, Richard? Right, right. So anything that you propose as far as limiting these guns, if the state gun laws allow it, then you can't do anything about it. That's why they keep flipping the script talking about Harrisburg. But those are white folks. So again, you're depending on them to remedy your situation. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Now, let me read these. Okay, now, use that as the premise. Now, let me, there's a couple of articles here. It was a BBC article that came out uh, the 17th, four days ago. Just want to read a paragraph from it. The header was how many mass shooting, how many U.S. mass shootings have there been in 2023? <clears throat> it says gun violence is a fixture in American life, but the issue is highly, is a highly political one. Pitting gun control advocates against people who are fiercely protective of their right to bear arms. In each of the last three years, there have been more than 600 mass shootings, almost two a day on average. While the U.S. does not have a single definition for mass shootings, the Gun Violence Archive defines a mass shooting as an incident in which four or more people are killed or injured. Their figures include shootings that happen in homes and public places. So it says, Richard, in the past three years, Mm-hmm. That there have been more than six hundred mass uh, two mass shootings a day in the United States, and that gun violence is a fixture of American life. Let me go to uh, this one here on ABC News. 
This was from a year ago. Um, the header says, what other countries uh, say about Americans' gun violence epidemic? The U.S. has the highest rate of civilian gun ownership globally. I'll read two paragraphs here. It says, the United States has a gun violence epidemic. Now, this is a separate article. The one from the BBC says gun violence is a fixture of American life, right? This one here says the United States has a gun violence epidemic. It's not one shared by its peers. The nation that has one, by one estimate, has more guns than people, has the highest rate of firearm deaths compared with other high-income countries in the world. Mass shootings are all too common occurrence in the U.S. and are also exceedingly rare in peer countries where governments have more often been quick to pass gun reform in the wake of such tragedies. It says, here's a quote, compared to other peer countries, basically what we have is lots of guns, particularly handguns, and we have far too weak gun laws. Not surprisingly, we have a huge gun problem, says David Hemingway, the director of the Harvard Injury Control Research Center, told ABC News. I think if we had basically better gun laws, uh, we have basically better gun laws than developed countries. These other developed countries, we'd be better off. Okay, now let me go down to this last article, which was in uh, U.S. News and World Report from January. The header says the U.S. remains the outlier in firearm possession and gun-related deaths. In January, uh, January has been another month of devastating gun violence in the United States. A string of mass shootings impacted communities in California. The headlines have become all too familiar for Americans who have endured a seemingly endless slew of firearm-related violence in years. Indeed, the U.S. continues to set itself apart from its international peers in terms of gun ownership and firearm deaths. In 2017, the U.S. civilian, a U.S. civilians held an average of 100, 120.5 firearms for uh, every 100 people. The highest rate uh, in the world by a factor of more than double. In other words, the U.S. was the only country with more civilian held guns than citizens. Reports in recent years have also shown that the U.S. has to have the world's highest rate of gun related deaths, including those uh, interpersonal violence including, uh, excuse me, interpersonal violence and self-harm and unintentional injuries. As gun-related deaths rose from 2014 to 2020, so did U.S. firearm background checks, increasing by 89%. In 2022, background checks dipped back down to pre-pandemic levels, but in 2022, uh, the total of 30.8 30.8 million remains 48% higher than in 2014. So, Richard, these three articles mention that it's an epidemic 
of gun violence in the United States. One of them said that it was a fixture of American life. Now, all you hear, because this has become a political issue, or, or Republicans are against uh, restrictions on firearms. And what the Democrats are proposing, if you notice, Richard, is longer waiting periods and background checks, right? Mm-hmm. They're not proposing, you know, taking away or getting rid of guns. It's mm-hmm. against the Constitution, so to speak. So they're... Their back, their their stance is background checks and waiting periods, but according to this one article, it says, and I'll re- read that last paragraph: as gun related deaths rose from 2014 to 2020, so did U.S. firearm background checks, increasing by 89 percent. But in 2022, background checks dipped down to pre-pandemic levels. But in 2022, also, uh, the total of 30.8 million uh, deaths by firearms remains 48 percent higher than 2014. So what it's saying is, Richard, even with the background checks, this stuff is still off the hook, mm-hmm. which is not surprising. This country is a violent country and was created in violence. Right. That's the thing that we really got to focus on. This country was created in violence, unlike other civilizations that have been in this world. It was maintained and created through violence and heinous crimes against the humanity. Whether you're talking about what was done to the Native Americans who, who was in this land or what was done to uh, our African ancestors who were brought to this land. So when you see this off the hook, how are we sitting knowing this stuff has affected our communities and affected black way of life? How are we sitting depending on Europeans to do something about this? We, we can't. We got to come up with an independent solution. Now, let me say this, Richard. One independent solution that have worked in the past but has been stopped by Europeans and they've put fear in black people and especially black elected officials. You might not know where I'm going, but I'm throwing this out as a solution. If you remember, uh, and I forgot what state, maybe one of our callers can call up. And it made it happen in a couple of states. Housing project was off the hook with violence. And the Nation of Islam were brought in because the people have respect for the people that are involved in the Nation of Islam. They have cleaned up communities. They have helped black men clean up their lives. And they've been stand-up men in their communities. So they would come in and they'd help stop violence in some of these housing projects. Do you remember that, Richard? Yeah. But the whites who controlled those city governments didn't want that. So the black elected officials that were involved in those municipalities steered away from that which has been one solution that have worked in different communities. But that's an independent solution, and it has nothing to do with white folks. And it reminded me of when we shared that thing from Brother Clifton Abrams about what they wanted to do in Rochester, up there where uh, they got the mural at. 
about mm-hmm. stopping the violence. And the Nation of Islam came in. And then that guy wrote those articles. You remember? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we're at a position where this is an epidemic. And white folks have admitted in several of these articles, it's an epidemic in this country. It's more guns in this country here than it is people. But we as blacks, and I'm talking about some of the leadership. I ain't talking about black people rank and file because we've been almost hostage to this, this madness. But the rank and file, the, the, the leadership blacks don't want to deal with a real solution. They keep throwing the ball in white folks' courts, thinking that they're going to stop gun violence or curb it. They're not going to stop the ownership of guns. This, could, this is the life's blood of this country. They should make the emblem on their flag a gun. It don't need to be no star and stripes. It should be a gun. Let's go to let's go to two one five two one five. Hey, good evening, brother Elliot and brother Richard. How y'all brothers doing tonight? How are you, sir? Uh, praise be to Allah. I remember to say first, uh, happy Ed Mubarak since the end of Ramadan. You know, our brothers and sisters throughout the United States and the world have nice Ed dinners or, or luncheons today and dinners. I had one. I went to one earlier. That's why I tuned in a little late, Ellen Richard. And I had a nice, broke the fast with a nice, you know, halal meal and everything. And I just, you know, wish all the sisters and brothers well. You know, Brother Adam, y'all took you and Richard, you and Brother Richard touched on a lot earlier, you know, and, and I, I know a lot of it, but the genesis of it was the article that was in the, the Delhi uh, News about the, uh, the um, poverty or the, or the wealth, uh, you know, unequalness and stuff. When you talk this disparity, I should say the wealth disparity between blacks, whites, Asians, and Latinos, where like, like you and Brother Richard discussed earlier, for 13 years, the wages of black people have stayed the same, whereas even among Latinos, whites, and Asians, there's went up 25%. And this happened in the city. We got to put this in a, a predominantly black city council for several years, Democrat city council, uh, black mayors, black police commissioners, black firemen, black city council presidents, and our people, wages remain stagnant. And you wonder why black people can't do what other groups have to done that's generational wealth. I mean, it's just so clear today that a blind man can see this, man. That's the disgrace. And see, it all goes back, like I said, Ellen Richard, to what Brother Dave Richardson said in the clip. He said, he said, I don't confuse it. He said, I'm a black man first and the state rep second. I wish these Negroes could listen to that because they, you know, they, they could learn from, from Brother Dave that just being a man, which a lot of them I question their manhood, and, and I question a lot of their what to the ones that sisters their womanhood because they sure don't stand up like a Dave Richardson or a Fenton McKinney or whatever. They don't stand up as a strong black man or black woman. They wooses. They they come across as wooses, for lack of a better word, you know. And uh, that's why people stay in the condition we stay in now. I mean, it's you know, like you said, it's it's, it's a disgrace, man. You know, you you, you, you putting out these facts and stuff about what's wild people in the condition we're in now and how these white folks keep playing these games with us and stuff with the like how they twist the language around and everything like that. They keep coming so like Richard says not violence. They don't say gun violence so it's now it's public safety. I mean, there's all these little catchphrases to try to throw black people off, man. You know, and, and see the sad part is that like I said, Ellie Richard is that Many of our people, out of political ignorance, they they look at these individuals as somebody that's going to save them when nothing could be further from the truth. Because stuff, you know, these niggas are just 
using black people as a prop, just like white people do, to further their own political gains and stuff like that. You got you got you got a, you got a loud mouth right now that's running for mayor. She got all the answers and stuff. I mean, you know, she's sickening. I mean, she I don't even want to mention her name, but she got she has all the answers and stuff. When she was on city council, she 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 was part of that ten year tax abatement. That's another thing that has took wealth out of the black community. That ten years tax abatement. But these rich white developers who are already millionaires and billionaires can come in here and get these properties and have to pay not a damn thing on the money that could be going towards our schools. And she was part of that crew. But yeah, she got so much damn mouth now about what she going to do. She, 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 if it wasn't if it wasn't so sad, Elliot and Richard, it'd be almost laughable, man. You know, all this big mouth and loud talk, but she gonna do this and she's gonna wave her wine and she gonna and of course she gonna stick the police on our, on your on black people too, of course. You know, at the same time she got all that mouth, she knows she 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 gonna she she gonna untie the policeman's hand, whatever that's supposed to mean. You know what it means towards black people. You know it. It ain't no good. There's no good intentions involved. That's for sure. And knowing the history of the police and relationship with the with the white with policemen, especially white policemen and black people, especially black men. So that's no good there. But untying their hands and and just letting them use any means necessary, stop and frisk and whatever. Not that it ever went anywhere anyway, but. But now it's a so-called constitutional stop and frisk, whatever that's supposed to mean. See, they, like I say, she used all these catchphrases that, that, that if our people not privy and not, you know, focused, Ellie and Richard, they go right over the top of their head, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just things that we have to be very leery for. And when you mention about those projects, the two projects in the Nation of Islam did great work in with Cabrini Green in Chicago. They they cleaned that up. They picked that was a drug-written, violence Fested project Cabrini Green and the Mayfair Mansions in Washington. Nation of Islam brothers, just regular brothers like you, me, and Richie's is out there, out there meeting with our people. You know, talking to the brothers. You know, in some cases where the brothers, the hardheads, have to take some hardcore action from the hardheads. But the point is that they was able to get those projects livable, get those drugs out of there where our people could live decently with while elderly who have paved the way, worked all their life. Some of them been in the military. Some of them out in the struggle in the vineyards, fighting for our people to have a better life for their children in the future. They were able to get those projects clean where our elders could sit out there and enjoy the, enjoy the fruits of their labor, could sit out there and, and have a barbecue in the projects or, 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 or sit back and read and, and have fun night, book night, whatever, like the ice cream. You could have ice cream and, and do it young people or any civilized want to enjoy those spring and summer nights. They was able to make that livable. But who comes up there? The, our so-called friends, the white Jews, who say that they love black people. They went out there and raised hell and, and threatened people and, and twisted arms and, 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 had, and had the city of Chicago as well as the city of D.C. renege on the contract with the nation. And the nation wasn't allowed to patrol in those areas and, and, and do what they was doing. And what happens in a matter of time, it went right back to what it was. The drugs came back. The drug dealers came back. The degradation. The hopelessness is, hope is in despair. You know what I mean? And yet they're supposed to be our friends. And these cowardly-ass black leaders sat right up there 
on the city, state, and federal level and then opened their damn mouth. See, if Howard Washington was living in and stuff, he would have spoke up. He, would, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't have let it go down like that. He would have well, spoke up. Well, you know? the, and, I, and I wanted to uh, um, mention, uh, because maybe you can clear it up, because you mentioned the two cities. Uh, mm-hmm. You said Washington, D.C., and also uh, Cabrini Chicago. Green, Chicago. Uh, I would assume that Harold Washington was mayor when they did that. That's correct. And That's and right. and uh, Marion Barry was mayor when they did that in Washington. That's correct. That's see, right. it's, but see black exactly. You don't have that now. These black mayors that they come that's that's getting these jobs now. You better not mention the Nation of Islam. They they run. That's almost like you don't set their feet afire or something. They'll run in another Ooh. direction. See, that's what I'm talking about, about the mindset. We got to uh, create a new mindset of these of leadership among our people. And it's going to come from some of these young folks. I agree. And, and, and see, brother, you raise a good point because I told you about the late, our late great ancestor, the late great Dave Richardson. I mean, it's no do I six seconds. See, see, nobody can tell me. Or, or, or tell me otherwise, because I was there. Like I said, when the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan ever came to Philadelphia, well, no matter where he spoke, it could be in a church, it could be down at Tupper University, it could be any, at any venue, who was sitting right up there while he was with us physically, the Honorable Dave Richardson, right there. You know, the same clip that you played with Dave said, I'm a man first, and he, and he said that coward, that chump governor, Tom Ridge, who has, who has made his life works to try to kill our brother, Momia, and Dave spoke up right on the house floor against that devil right there on the house floor. I mean, that's a black, because Dave was a man. He wasn't no punk. He was a man and stuff like that, man. And Dave, like Dave said, I don't confuse the two. He, Dave didn't run away from Minister Farrakhan or Momia. He was right there with it, and, and he was doing this as a state rep, man. You, he, I mean, think about this, Ellen Richard. Can you imagine Hakeem Jeffries standing up there and, and on the United States Senate floor, sp- standing up and speaking against Israel or speaking up against uh, uh, white racism. Against, I'm not talking about no Donald Trump because that's easy for them. See, Donald Trump is a convenient target or, or some old racist show, uh, host from Fox News. I'm not talking about clowns like that. I'm talking about, can you imagine that cowardly Negro standing up, speaking against white bigotry, whether it be coming from the Jewish side of things, the Zionists, Israel, whatever. The, 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 the white oppressors have really, that's really been oppressing our people. You, you couldn't you can pay Hakeem Jeffries and, and stuff to stand up there and, and speak truth to power, because that cowardly Negro got no backbone. And, and, it's, and the sad part is that too many of our people follow this Negro, thinking that he's some kind of vanguard, because he's been propped as the next Obama, whatever that's supposed to mean. Like, that was some kind of great shakes for black people. Because you've seen what happened with that clown. That, that You see how, how they thought he did his card, these Negroes, after a while, when they no longer used the one that ran against the uh, the Santa the first time, Gilliam, whatever. Remember, Ellie, he, he was all over Sharpton's show. When they thought he was going to be the next Obama, when our, when after he lost, and, they, and he was in there with that room with those homosexuals and, and drugs, for paraphernalia, he faded right from the scene. Sharpton didn't mention his name no more. So they discard them niggas once they have no use and stuff like that, you know. I mean, but it, again, it just shows how they just, the lack of respect that they have for black people's intellect, and black people, because they just prop these Negroes up there in front of us, and we out of our political. And again, not, our people not stupid, because our politic, political not naivete or, or naiveness or, and, and ignorance or whatever you want to call it. So we, 
if we don't do our, if we're not politically astute and don't do our homework, as Mary Mason said, keep a scorecard, we'll go along with the get along. We'll start popping them niggas up too, thinking that the Hakeem Jeffries, the James Clyburns, the Corey Bookers, we start thinking they're working for the interests of our people. We'll, we'll start thinking that they're out there fighting for it when nothing could be further from the truth. They don't, they don't think like Dave Richardson think. They, they not even them, them Negroes don't think like they don't think like a Cynthia McKinney. They don't think black first. They think white from they you know they think their job first. You know what I mean? And all the entities that come with the jobs, the perks. I bet I'm gonna hold on to this as long as I can. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand this office until they drag me out of here, or if I until I lose or whatever, because I want to build up my pension, get my time in. And that, and that's pretty much the mentality. Ellen Richard, a black, black politician across America, like the, the use brother Richard's term. They are truly polite, political entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs. I mean, I, I can't say it any other way. They are truly political entrepreneurs. I mean, look at this one. This, this loudmouth uh, sister that's running for for, uh, for mayor. She already, if she, even if she loses this mayorship, which she probably is going to lose. But let's just say if she wins, you know, then she'll have three pensions. But if she don't win, she already got two already. She's been a state rep. And she's been a, a, a state rep for eight years. She's been a civil council person for almost ten years. So she got. So she's like Richard said. She's truly a political entrepreneur. So she just lying in her pockets and stuff. And it won't do no good for for her constituents and stuff. Cause she ain't gonna make she ain't gonna make sure that no generational wealth get down there. But she'll make sure that her and her family and her cronies get rich and rich. While while people that live in her community get poor and poor. Like Marco said, the, the you know the money is out of the community. People coming to get rich and richer. While your community get poor and poor out of schools that's in the community that she represents gonna get poor and poor but she ain't rich herself man say she won't even probably she probably leave that community at some point once she get enough wealth she be out there in some gated community you know how that go Elliot she be out in some gated community at some point out there in the out there in the outlining suburbs and stuff that's what they do after a while so I mean I mean these people that they 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 they, they, they just play out people for stupid man they all live they live in law that's why I, and I close with this Ellen Richard like I told a friend of mine I used to work with at Sears we had a rap the other day Day. I say, you know, when you look at this political stuff, I say whether it be Democrat or Republican, liberal or conservative, as Brother Malcolm says, at the end of the day, these people, don't, I say, you got very few of them on one, I say, you can probably count on one hand, and probably don't have to use all the fingers on one hand, they really give a damn about the people that they represent. That's on the city, state, and federal level. At the end of the day, these people are living large. They make laws and stuff to make sure that their income gets bigger and bigger. Like you said, everything gets more expensive. You know, the food, like Richard said, the food, the, the water, you know, the, the rent, everything is hot, rich of everything is the people's paycheck. But but yet they make laws to make sure that their salaries continue to increase and their benefits increase. But at the same time, they want to threaten to cut people's Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security, and food, a lot, food stamp, a lot of SNAP benefits. I mean, these people are just evil, but their bank accounts is getting like Look at this clown that's in office now, the president. They said in the paper the other day, the money him and his wife, Joe Biden, made. Biden got, well, of course, he makes over almost half a million as president, then that ain't counting the speeches he, he made. You know, he he, he speak he gonna speak and engage with he, he he'll get another he'll get a million dollar speech. Same with her, she gets a million dollar speech because you know when she speaks speaks at these various colleges. It's you know, as you know she's a she teaches at one of the colleges, but she also gets a million dollar stipends for uh, speaking at these various you know venues and stuff like that. So they make so they live in large and stuff. And you look at his. 
Republican counterparts on the other side, the, the Kevin McCarthy's, the, the Mitch McConnell's, he's well off. So you got two white men, the, a Democrat and a Republican, they were rich. You got Barack Obama, former president. I mean, Michelle Obama, they ain't, they ain't, they ain't, they ain't missed the bank account deposit yet. They're getting richer and richer by black people who still put them on the pedestal, poor as the damn church mouse. I mean, so, so I'm just saying at the end of the day, and I, and I close Ellen Richard, is that these people, be they Democrat or Republican, conservative or liberal, Nancy Pelosi, one of the richest people in the history of the Congress, Mick Mitt Romney, Republican, one of the richest, probably the richest man ever run for president. I mean, people don't give a damn about Elliot Booker or, or Brother Joe or Brother Rich. They could care less, you know, about, about Brother Joe Dennis or Brother Richard White. They could care less, man. And I got enough damn like Michael, so I got enough damn sense to know. And we ain't got enough sense to look out for our economic empowerment, we are damn fool because these people, keep, whether they're Democrat or Republican, they don't give a damn about whether we eat or live or eat or die or eat or sleep or whatever. These people look out for themselves and they're getting richer and richer while people in this country, even poor white people are getting poor and poor, but they know poor white people are so racist that they'll keep you know, drinking the Kool-Aid and they'll, and they'll just hold them to the fact that they're white as if that makes anything different to these people, but so they'll just continue joining with the racist allotment because they figure their whiteness can get them over which really gets them nowhere but you know that's the way they think so that's on them but my point is that these people don't give a damn about the American people for the most part these these politicians Democrat or Republican I mean they, they could care less you know they just could, could, could keep people living like a pipe dream chasing it like a crack pipe chasing a pipe dream that's never going to uh, 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 get get you nowhere. So we got to do, like you said, at the end of the day, like Malcolm said, we got to do for ourselves, turn inward to ourselves, strengthen Africa, strengthen uh, our people in America, and have that reach hands across, like these Muhammad speaks there, that we see that black hand reaching across Asia and Africa. This is what we have to have to, to, to strengthen our people because it's not going to come just for no damn politics. That It can be used as a tool to help our advances, but for the put our faith in some all white man's political system when he can change the game anytime he feels like and he does it right in front of us and we are damn fool to keep on falling for that sale strategy so you know but anyway Ellen Richard look, I think y'all I'm gonna, you know, end it right there and I thank you Ellen Richard for letting me express myself uh, well Ellen, I put me on mute well listen before you listen. before you go because you mentioned uh, yes. uh, in your what you were saying Jeffries uh, Richard mm-hmm. Yeah. Were you aware that uh, let me were you aware that Jeffries uh they brought up the thing about Jeffries and what he said about the uh, um Farrakhan and his uncle thirty years ago? No, no. Well let me what about you, uh uh, uh brother? No, no, I didn't, I didn't, well, I didn't let me let me share this article with you here. Because it, it Please do. Please it came do. out it came out in the New York Post on April thirteenth. Uh, about mm-hmm. a week ago. It says, uh, the header says, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries under fire for defending uncle's anti-Semitic comments while in college. Now, this had been brought up before, Mm -hmm. but they're bringing it back. Now, Mm -hmm. let me read this here. I'm going to read a couple paragraphs, and then I'm going to read something else before you leave us. It says, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries is under fire for defending his anti-Semitic uncle and Nation of Islam leader Louis Farrakhan after an op-ed column he wrote in college over 30 years ago resurfaced this week uh it says after he was elected to congress on 2013 jeffries told the wall street journal that he has only a vague recollection of the controversy surrounding his uncle uh leonard jeffries a former professor college professor and chair of black studies at the university 
uh, City University of New York. Uh, again, I have a vague recollection of it, Jeffries told the Wall Street Journal. There was no Internet during that era. I can't even recall a daily newspaper in Binghamton to New York. But it, it, uh, but it wasn't covering the things that the New York Post and the Daily News were at the time. So he said that he don't even remember it. Now, let me go down a little bit, and I'm going to read this other paragraph before I skip to this other article. Okay. It says, uh, Jeffrey's, main, Jeffrey's office maintained on Wednesday that he does not agree with his uncle's views and believes in bringing <laughs> communities together. Uh, his spokesperson, Christina Stevenson, told CNN, Leader Jeffries has consistently been clear that he does not share the controversial views espoused by his uncle over 30 years ago. So we see here again that he's disavowed himself from any of these things. And he, in fact, he told the Wall Street Journal, I don't even remember writing it. Now, hold it. So, okay, now we see that happen, and that was on the 13th. So what did he do um, on the 20th, which was yesterday? I'll read it to you. This is Hakeem Jeffries takes first foreign trip as House leader to Israel admit amid anti-Semitic accusations. This is House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries has taken his first foreign trip as a House leader to Israel amid allegations of anti-Semitism. Jeffries will be departing for Israel on Thursday night, which he just left, a week ahead of his Republican counterpart, Kevin McCarthy. The trip will not be New York's de- will not be your, New York's Democratic's first trip to the country. He has previously traveled there in 2013, 2018, 2019, 2022. Jeffries has a long relationship with Israel, even being celebrated by pro-Israeli groups upon his selection for the position as the Guardian reported. And you remember, and the listening audience, remember when I read those articles. Oh, yeah. The pro-Israel oh, camp yeah. needs someone like Hakeem Jeffries to lead us into the future, says former Rep. Uh, Robert Wexler. He said it in November. In fact, I would wow. say if the pro-Israel community wanted to create a Democrat leader for the future, we would create Hakeem Jeffries. So I'm just repeating that Lord, help us, uh, because we see Lord, here that he has he's not only said that, oh, I don't remember writing anything like that. I don't believe in nothing. They said my uncle or anybody else that he's went to Israel to meet with who, according to even whites, they say that that leadership over there now, Netanyahu and others, is more is more conservative than Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. So why, yeah, he might as yeah. well meet with Trump. And plus, well. I guess, wait a minute. I guess he's over there meeting with the same guy that called black people monkeys because that guy of is course. involved in that leadership over there. Exactly. See, these are the things These are the things that needs to be put out in black media, like exactly. WURD and others. This guy is going over there after he didn't disavow any comments he made 30 years ago. I don't remember. I remember what I did 30 years ago, especially some important things. I always remember that. He don't remember any of those articles. And plus, he's going over there to meet with the the likes of uh, the, the Israeli version of Donald Trump. 
And see, again, that spineless Negro, he thinks some black people, still, you know, damn well, he remember, he's just too damn cowardly and spineless to stand up and own up to his words. He's a spineless panty waist. But let me, but you know, Ellen, it gets to show you how these white designers work. Now, they're going to sit up there and dig up something that this handkerchief head Negro said 30 something years ago, and they know he's going to, know, they know he already knows he's a spineless Negro. He's not going to, you know, man on to his word. That's why I hope, I hope Brother Jay and Brother Maurice in New York is listening. Just show you the spineless of these Negroes and how slimy these white Zionist Jews is. Now they're going to sit there and dog him for that, right? And, and this is no way giving him no free pass because we know he's a Negro. But yet, they don't, why don't they bring up about that George Rabbi who not, he didn't say this uh, 30 years ago, just two or three years ago, that white George Rabbi who you just mentioned, Elliot, who's a member of Benjamin Netanyahu's cap not Yahoo's cabinet that referred to black people as monkeys. And when, and when, they, when, they, when the Jerusalem press uh, questioned him about it, he not only did he not apologize, he doubled down on it and said he, 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 he's about a tall man, which, which the white Zionists practice, they practice the Talmud. They don't, they don't respect the Torah like a lot of the so-called practicing Jews try to practice the Torah. And a lot of them, and like I said, let the record show, a lot of these Zionists use these swine and eat pork. And they, don't even, they don't even respect the orthodox kosher laws. So a lot of them eat, eat pork and stuff like that. But my point is that according to that racist book, the Talmud and stuff, when they refer to black people as monkeys, he, he, he doubled down and, and stuff like that. So I'm saying, why don't y'all go and, and, and question him and, and get him to disavow his comments? But no, they don't do that. They go and get this spineless nigga for something that he did 30 years ago. And see, that's another thing, too, Elliot. See, that's why I have a serious issue with these black Christians, some of these are black Christian brothers, because see, Elliot, some of these ministers, they are so spineless, just like Jeffries. For example, in that Talmud, it states clearly, now you always heard these black Christians say how much they love Jesus, because you was mentioning the brother Richard earlier about how they let this the seventy six let this guy they six sent this guy to come into a black venues, black churches, but yet you and you hey, when you and Red Reggie was trying to go in there to get black to talk about black farmers that can that can ultimately gonna be able to provide food for our people and sustain our people like any intelligent human being would do. They had a problem with that. But he let this guy Negro come in there for sports suit on and stuff on the on a on a on a on a holier day, a Palm Sunday, and and talk about some damn rich billionaire basketball arena about some white Jewish billionaires and billionaires. I mean, give me a break, man. But but, but I say all that to say this, Ellie. These a lot of these black they say they, they have a fit when you say anything uh, if you don't say that Jesus is the son of God, if you say that Jesus is a prophet, they jump all over you. But yet these white Zionists, and this is a fact, anybody that doubt what Brother Joe said this, look it up, it's right there for anybody to see. As Dick Gregory said, look it up for yourself in the Talmud. The Zionist, so-called Zionist book that these white Zionists practice, they call Jesus, and they, they, they only do, they disparage Jesus, who, who, who Muslims who revere, because like I said, Jesus is so respecting Islam, he's mentioned more in the Quran than, 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 than Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. They say Jesus should be born an extra man, and they call Jesus precious mother Mary a hoe. A hoe. This is what these white Jews say about Jesus. They call him, they be born in human waste and said his mother is a hoe. But none of these black Christian ministers say a damn thing about it. And they know these white Zionists say these things about Jesus and, 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 and 
his mother Mary, but they too damn spouse to say anything. Can, can you imagine, Brother Elliot, if some Muslims ever said that you you couldn't shut you, Elliot, you couldn't shut these Negroes up? They'd be all over radio and TV, trashing Muslims all over the world. But yet these white zodiacs can disparage Jesus and Mary, and yet these black Christian ministers open their damn mouth. I mean, I, you just get too tired of this spilelessness, these spileless cowards, man. I, they make me sick to my stomach, man. I can't take them no more. They make me sick. They do. You know? Yeah, well, don't get sick now. I'll do, do, <laughs> talk to you later. All right, thanks, brother. You and Richie, put me on mute. I'll listen to the rest of the show. All right, peace. Richard, we come to the end of another program here. Yes, yes. Uh, looking forward to the conversation Sunday with uh, Professor Gerald, Dr. Gerald Horn. It'll be an interesting yes. discussion. And looking forward to it. Sounds good. Uh, before we leave tonight, uh, 7 to 9 tomorrow, the elders of Sankofa would ho- host Dr. Janine James. And uh, looking forward to Sunday's conversation. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion as always, and we'll be back on Sunday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Peace. Driving through the country on a lazy afternoon, or you're watching your children playing after school.
Save the children.